Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I'm Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? Please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. Today, I'm going to be talking about the return to office challenges that companies are facing. Are they real or are they perceived? With me today, I have a special guest, Vic Bangia. Vic, welcome. Before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Vic Bangia, and I'm the CEO of Verum Consulting. We're a corporate real estate strategy and operations consulting company. I spend most of my time helping corporate clients outsource their real estate services to some of the larger service providers like CBRE and JLL, Cushman & Wakefield, especially with those clients who have integrated facilities management needs along with their other real estate services needs. Um, but I'm also in the strategy and operations world, a workplace consultant and a business strategist. So I help companies of all kinds do various different things, um, you know, everything from training and development to workplace strategy um, to public speaking. It's a pretty wide ranging set of services that I do as part of my consulting practice. That's amazing. I'm really curious to hear um, sort of your thoughts on what some of the return to office challenges uh, are that you're seeing from organizations that you're interacting with? Yeah, well, so I think part of the challenge is that everything around sort of the post-COVID transformation to go back to the workplace is a moving target. You know, there's a lot of folks that have put together return-to-work strategies and plans uh, only to pull back on those plans when we went further into uh, some challenges late last year because there was original conversation about people going back to the office even before the end of the year last year. And, you know, here we are uh, seven months into the new year. And another potential effort to reopen workspaces may be pushed back again because of the COVID variants that are out there and some of the unknown that's taking place. So I think it's a lot of start and stops. And the other challenge and the other gap is that a lot of people that have put together return to work strategies have sort of ignored uh, a little bit of the psychological safety that's required to make these plans viable. Uh, people are interested in going back to the office, but are concerned that the employers haven't done enough to ensure their physical and psychological safety. So when they start to sort of evaluate the cost benefit or the return on investment for the commute and for the potential of putting themselves in some jeopardy with respect to people who aren't vaccinated in public transportation. All sorts of other factors kind of play into sort of this start-stop mentality that everybody seems to have around going back to the office. That's interesting. So do you think that, I mean, obviously the, from a from a psychological safety for employees coming back, you know, there's, you know, safety is obviously going to be top of mind, right, is making sure that the spaces are not like what they were when they left and that there's some adjustment that's been made so that whether it's the spacing or, you know, whatever the situation is. But what about in terms of even the idea of adopting like hybrid work in the environment? There seems to be a lot out there in terms of how different organizations are approaching 
what the future of work might potentially look like and the debate between bringing everybody back or adopting hybrid and what does that look like and just kind of all of that type of discussion. And so I often wonder, you know, if if some of the challenges or some of the things that are being, you know, talked about in terms of, you know, when we talk about things like, you know, being able to collaborate and being able to be innovative and just kind of all of the reasons that are given by organizations to bring people back. Is this whole concept of, you know, the challenges of bringing people back real or is it perceived and that there's, you know, something else? So I think one of the challenges that exists right now is that we don't have a sort of scientific way of determining the different types of job functions that are required to run an operation or an enterprise. And that particular functions sort of, I coined a term called remote work index, right? So what percentage of that work can actually be done from a remote location versus something that has to be done from a physical location in the office? And when we say office, you know, you know, there's certainly uh, a greater demand on folks that are in the manufacturing or distribution types of businesses where the work has to be, you know, on site or the operation doesn't run. But because of that, the challenge that uh, a lot of folks are stuck with is how do you measure performance and productivity based on a, a job position profiles, remote work index, or the ability to do that job from remote. And I think that unknown factor gives a lot of leaders pause as to what they can expect and what they, what direction they will go with their embracing of of this whole concept of remote work. Certainly certain folks, you know, are doing a fantastic job. In fact, some of my clients are probably more productive and have greater collaboration going on from a remote work standpoint than they do when they were in the office together. So I think that's a positive sign. But then others that maybe I'm not working with today, but that I've heard through, you know, some of the uh, social media posts on LinkedIn and others are really struggling with that, you know, trying to get their teams to to be a a cohesive unit when everybody's scattered. It's interesting because I think about, um, you know, productivity and sort of how you would measure that or are you ready, just kind of measuring the readiness factor is I know that a lot of companies have been surveying their employees to ask, you know, um, about how they feel with respect to their productivity levels and just kind of really trying to gauge where employees are at. How much does the actual employee voice count in that sort of decision making process? Well, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit subjective, right? I've actually even answered some poll questions about how much more productive I feel. And my productivity has actually increased only because all of the other things that I was doing prior to COVID have sort of fallen by the wayside. All of my air travel time, my hotel time, my uh, time between meetings and, and transitioning from one to the other, uh, you know, because I'm not doing that kind of travel, crazy travel. I mean, I was traveling every day uh, because I'm not doing that. My productivity has soared, but so has my free time uh, because I've been able to balance all of that out and reprioritize everything in life. But, you know, I think some of the challenges are going to be that subjective versus objective measurement. If you can create outcomes-based performance measurement criteria for your employees, then you can manage them by outcomes. And if the outcomes are achieved, 
then the employee is productive. Uh, if the outcomes are not achieved, then the employee is not productive. It's fairly simple depending on the job. And that's why I went back to that sort of remote work index label, because I think every job has to have some type of, of remote work capability in order to put the right measurements in place. Right. Um, so I think it's it's fairly simple to do. But at, at the same time, the question always becomes, who's going to do it? When you've got, you know, a little bit of a battle going on as to who's in the lead on this entire remote work concept. Is it real estate? Is it real estate facilities or is it HR? You know, it's a, it's a challenge because when it comes to that, that type of job classification, I think HR should be the, the group that's sort of leading that charge. But when it comes to how that work gets enabled, then it's real estate. And so all these groups actually have to work together and they have to work together well and you know, some are, uh, but others have yet to really bring those two groups together in a very high-performing way in order to come up with their strategy. And that's why I see a lot of gaps in these in these plans because they just yeah. don't involve the right um, constituents. That's interesting because that's that was kind of my experience in you know the years that I was doing sort of straight up consulting. And actually, it's interesting just talking with you about workplace strategy and just kind of some of the things that you've done in the past and you continue to do, you know, and you've probably seen as well is workplace strategy has been something that we've been working on for a number of years, this whole concept of flexible working. I mean, I officially started consulting in 2007, but my first experience in flexible work dates back to like 1996, right? So that was kind of the early, early days of this idea of hot desking and flexible working. So it's been around for quite some time. It's obviously the terminology that's been used to describe it has changed. And actually, just yesterday, I was thinking about how, you know, uh, initially, I read a post, it was when you ask employees a survey, you know, when you're doing a workplace strategy survey and you're asking employees about, you know, rating their satisfaction and importance of, you know, the, the current workspace and you'd ask them, you know, what they wanted. And well, some one of the questions was always about there's a list of like a dozen or so things, but it was, you know, to have the same desk to go to every day uh, or to have the flexibility to work wherever you wanted to in the office. Right. Because it was flexibility within the workplace, which was the activity based work. And. I'd say probably 99.9% of the time, those were always number one and number two. So number one was, I want to have my own desk, but I also want to have the flexibility to move around in the office. And so it was this concept of, okay, people don't want to be tethered to their desk eight hours a day, five days a week. They want to have the security of knowing that they have a place to go to, but also have the ability to move around and work in other spaces in the office. And so fast forward now to, you know, 2020, 2021. And so this whole, the same concept now of untethering yourself from the physical building, right? Where some companies years ago started toying with the idea of flexibility, enabling people to work outside of the office. Some adopted it better than others. But I've always kind of wondered, like, why it's kind of dragged its feet that it never really picked up the momentum that it could have when the benefits of working this way, you know, both from a cost perspective and just kind of all of the different things that that it does from a company perspective, from a positioning and competitive advantage perspective. And yet it's just never really picked up the momentum that it could have. So I'm curious to know, like, what are what are your thoughts on that in terms of why? Why was that the case? Well, it's interesting. I come from a 
sort of an old guard, stodgy environment in the in the energy world. I used to work for an oil company. And I think it really boils down to, to culture and leadership styles and the way leaders uh, look at items like flexibility. Because I remember when I first started in my career, casual Friday meant you could wear a color shirt with your suit rather than a pure white shirt with your suit. You know, I worked for a company that was that formal that if you were at your desk and you had a, a meeting at the conference room down the end of the hall, when you left your desk, you actually had to put your suit coat on to walk the halls. So you couldn't walk the halls in shirt, in shirt sleeves. So that change was enormous. We went from trying to get people out of two and 300 square foot offices, private offices, to smaller offices first. That was our main challenge then. It wasn't really about flexibility or co-working or or collaboration or anything like that. It was really a cultural shift away from, hey, it's this type of control and, and command and control to a little bit more flexibility. But I think if you, you know, forget about what my experience was in that in that environment, if you just look at what everybody else was doing, even in the in the tech world at the time, in the early nineties, it was really more about managers and leaders wanting to have their people within sight. And if you were out of sight, you were, you know, not working. And there were only certain companies like HP at the time. I think back in 2008, I actually talked about Hewlett Packard uh, and some of the things that they were doing with their mobile workforce, which were mostly sales folks, mostly people that were out in the field, giving them hot desking capabilities or touchdown space where there is an office they can go to and, and, and check in. But for the most part, they're on the road. They're working remotely or they're driving around. They're meeting with clients. Uh, they're flying around and they didn't need to have that uh, day-to-day presence in the office. But the other people that did, they were still in, in that same sort of, you know, fishbowl that I had to be visible to my boss. Otherwise, I was out goofing around. And mm-hmm. so I think that mentality still exists. I think there's a lot of leaders who still are concerned today that unless they bring everybody back in the office, their people aren't really working. And that's a really interesting challenge. Well, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time and your insights. And thank you again for your time today. Any final final thoughts? Well, I I think we're on a journey together. So um, all I would say is that anybody listening to this podcast, I would really love it if they would link in with me, Um, you know, find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter or, you know, visit my website. The the LinkedIn aspect of it is is good because I publish a lot of content and I do bring that whole community of people, you know, workplace uh, professionals. And we all have a lot of lively debates on on what we think, you know, is going to happen in the future and what we'd like to see happen in the future. So I'd love for others to join into that conversation. But, uh, Sandra, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. And, and, and uh, I've had a great time. You're very welcome. Thanks again, Vic. <laughs>